Well, traditionally, I like to ask for advice. Now, it's only you, Brandon, which uh, it means it's it's going to be uh, half as much advice as I normally get if I did the math correctly. But I think do the math. I think, on mm-hmm. I think the quality will still be great. I, oh. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So we have we have a big trip coming up. We're we're finally going back to Texas for a few weeks. The first time I got my hand going here. The first time uh, everyone has been back. I mean, I've been back a few times a long time ago. <clears throat> but my question for you, Brandon, we got a. Uh, we got two adults. Uh, we got uh, two. I don't know what you would call them. Oh, juveniles, children, <laughs> children, <laughs> sure. And then, and then, and then a baby, and an infant, a newborn, a toddler. That's right. right? That's right. That's right. One so of those things. you got you got you got five people there, right? Yeah. And we're not going to take a whole lot with us because you know we plan on right. like mm-hmm. you know when you cut when you go to the states you buy clothes there because clothes they have the same clothes in either place but like. What I think what a lot of people don't appreciate about Europe is they got this thing called a VAT tax, which basically like like if you if I were to tell you, see, this is what a, this is like what a VAT tax is. If I were to tell you, uh, Brandon, you there is a sale going on. You get 21 percent off tennis balls. You would be like, oh, that's a good deal. That's a significant amount of money if I, if I want tennis balls. Now, just imagine the opposite of that. If I was to say, like, Brandon, if you want tennis balls, they're going to cost 21 percent more. Right. Similarly, now 21% is not 25%. That would be shocking, but it's just uh, that kind of taxes on everything. I think it, except certain types of bread and cheese, you know, uh, goods. Uh, so to net that out, clothes are cheaper in the United States? Is that what you're talking about? Definitely, me? definitely. Okay, like, you know, especially if you go to like Old Navy and, you know, you go to the back there oh, oh, sure. where they've got yeah. like the discount rack and you're like, whoa, look, shorts for 25 cents. That's yeah. that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to come back with with stuff so we're not taking a lot with us right uh but my question is so give me give me like the maybe i mean if you have to go back further that's fine but give me like the 48 hour tiktok for the uh for the witchard household going on a big trip like what 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 does it look like now you're still you 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 and the wife are still well okay let's set it to what i i have tomorrow off okay right so i have to but i didn't have today off Right. So you can mm-hmm. go with that. Let's say let's say you've got one working day and you've got one off day. Right. Like, is that going to be enough? Or are we going to need three days, two days? What's, what's this going to look like? It's definitely not. But although it would be a little bit of a division of labor here, like my wife mm-hmm. would typically be so 48 hours. So, I mean, because there's some stuff that predates that there'd be like, you know. When originally buying the tickets, checking the passport. Sure, all that. I, so that's I, I like let, huh? let's say let's say you're like me. You've quadruple checked that everything, everything the dates yeah, are yeah. good, it's everything's cool. Care, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and 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 what you're you're set with this? You're like the house is in living state, right? Mm-hmm. And we have not packed anything. Yeah, and and we have, we have not really like. I mean, I guess that's basically it, right? Yeah. So a forty eight ounce hours out like this will probably be where we've given my son sort of the 48 hour work um warning and he's he's a traveler he likes to travel so he's into it so it would be hey have you packed your bag right so we you know get that down and then he would you know just he's at an age where like at least the initial pack is on him like okay like hey you need to pack all your stuff and then what electronics are you bringing you need to get all of that so he will have probably gotten his Bag. he's usually done about 24 hours in advance the full because okay. he likes he's into it right but then yeah. there'll be like several parental checks like did you 
like, yes, you're bringing all the electronics, but did you bring like toothpaste? And I don't know, you know, just be a quick little, a baby. Your socks match. Yeah. No, that's probably honestly not matching is not necessary. Do you have them as, is acceptable. (laughs) Um, So there'd be a little bit of that. And then my wife about 48 hours out, she's sort of compiling a list thinking through she'd be doing some type of airport snacks potentially like what oh you know, yeah kind of stuff can we bring it can we not bring it getting out some water bottles and she will start to construct uh, a pile on the kitchen table you know that will start to like you okay. know all the things she wants to and she'll also have a lot of written lists like i probably won't pull the suitcase out till about if it's a morning departure like really so 12 15 hours beforehand right i'll be like finish the day at work you know, whatever I'm wrapping up on. And then I'll probably start packing like, you know, 7, 8 p.m. Uh, right before. We okay. But then I will have like, we'll kind of know if there's anything missing. Um, and then, of course, like travel day is always a little stressful. I mean, it's sort of like we will do here in uh, Austin, like we use Fast Park, but like it's been a little bit weird now because of like, do you need a reservation? They've had different rules. So there may be like a quick mm. check of that. And then as a family, we'll discuss like, when are we leaving, right? Like how many hours beforehand? And it's like, it's like usually about two hours beforehand, but then sometimes people are like, oh, it's going to be too early. It's going to be too late. So we'll kind of some negotiation there. Um, yeah, and then from yeah. then on out, it's just, you know, get in the car. Um, usually, you know, everyone has the alarm set. You know, we're like, we typically be, we're like first like morning travelers is our pre- preference. It's like get up, get it done. Even if it's like a 5 a.m. flight, the, the group wants to do that versus like waiting until late in the afternoon. So it's like get really? it up, oh, huh. get it done get through security, right? You know, get your flight done. Of course. On your way. So I don't know. What am I missing? What What are your, you know, you're really 48 hours out. What are, What's on your list? Well, so, you know, there's always, as we went over, lots of extraneous weird things, right? Like if you got any medication, you need to get, line things up, whatever, pets, all that. Yeah. So we'll put all that aside. I mean, I think... I think our schedule is uh, very similar to yours. Like we we have we have a two year old now, which is a little more. She can't pack on her own yet, let alone make sure she has matching socks. So we got to we got to put some thought into that. And then like we haven't actually gone on like a long flight with her. I'm, I mean, I'm sure Kim's thought of this, but we're gonna have to think of like what is it you pack for a baby? Like well, like I was thinking, you know, she's really into milk. As as you would imagine, yeah, you want and, a lot of that, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and like I don't remember, I don't think you can just take milk through the security checkpoint. Like I don't like so, and and I think in the Amsterdam airport you could buy milk, and I think on the plane they'll have lots of milk. So I think you can just ask them to give you milk, like, and it'll be cool. And we're flying on Delta over there, you know, a uh, uh, what am I part of now? The Sky Team, a uh, valued Sky Team partner. I forget what uh, is Sky Team the one that, that. Anyways, so I think I think they probably will, will have milk. I don't know. There's stuff like that, but yeah, I think uh, we will probably just since I think especially we'll probably start packing tomorrow afternoon, and uh, I, I I think I think that will work out. The other complication we have is that while we're gone, we're having. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Floorers? Uh, people who put in floors. Mm-hmm. We're having them come to install wood floors on the other two floors in the house nice. that don't have them. Mm-hmm. So that will be, hopefully that will work out fine. Uh, it's it's a little ambiguous what, what they do with the waste around. You know, I mean, in Texas, they just haul your stuff away after the contractors, right? Right. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like you don't even have to ask. They'll just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this stuff to the dump. Like, they just do it for you. <laughs> Right. But around here, it's like a big, big to do. 
like every time we've hired as as Matt Ray would say a tradie, they uh, you sort of like have to really get them to haul away all the leftovers and and throw it away. I guess it's expensive to throw stuff away around here, uh, but so we have that. So we got to clear out some things here and there. But yeah, I think I think you know it's good talking to you because I was a little nervous, but I think it'll be fine. I think we can start packing at like eleven p.m. And then uh, we can totally make our 820 flight. It's not going to be an issue. Unfortunately, we don't have any ads this week. Otherwise, that so would be a right great place to topic. start. <laughs> you know, that's great. But hey, if you want, if you wanted your ad to run here, just send us an email at ads at softwaredefined.com and we'll find a way to work with you. We'll I'll, I'll, put, I'll put an ad in. I, I, uh, I don't know if y'all mentioned it last time because I haven't finished listening to the episode, but I, did, I finally got published my great piece on what is DevSecOps. As far oh. as I can tell, my my three part definition. And next week, uh, I'm I'm going to be in Chicago uh, while while I'm on my quote unquote vacation uh, for our our spring one tour Chicago, April 26th and 27th, I think. And I'm going to give a little 20 minute talk going over that. And I'll put in the show notes if you want a fifty dollar discount, you can uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash three five four and uh, there's a way to get a $50 discount off registering for a spring tour, spring one tour Chicago. Now, speaking of discounts, here's a pro tip. I don't know if you ever try this, Brandon, but let me, let me do this for the listeners uh, as sort of like a contextual piece of advice here. Now uh, where I, I guess I don't have that in here, but if we'll look at, we'll look at the, that conference, which is also happening. I know this is later in the show, but I want to make this point is there are two discount codes you can use. There's SDT Friends 75 and SDT Friends 50. And similarly, registering for the Spring One Tour is like that. There's like S1P underscore code 25. Now, you can guess the 25 one gets you $25 off. And I just said there's a code to get you $50 off, which just means instead of 25, the number is 50. So you should try this if you're ever fiddling around with discount codes. Just keeping keep going up in increments of 10 until you, you find that the code is not uh, available. Because chances are they've set up a code to discount much cheaper than the one that you've given, right? Like if it's a $25 discount, like I knew there was a $50 discount and I just waited for people to start using it. But you've, you've, you've uh, revealed the secrets, you know, you just never know. You never know what codes are out there. But once you know the pattern, just keep yeah. trying high numbers. You never it's know. Al- always in increments of five or 10. That's, that's what you need to check with. Now, I guess if you're, if you're a conference organizer, you could be thinking like, ah, I am going to increment it by a random number from one to four. And, and that will be how we will uh, get through this. But if you find that, maybe you just need to start going one up and one down. Well, then you have the old conference organizer trick about like the code, the secret code that's really not secret, but like because people think it's a secret, they feel more likely to use it. So you have that like reverse, reverse psychology oh, yeah, going. It's like, right. oh, yeah. There's a $79 off. Have you heard about it? But of course, the conference organizers, they're, they're happy for you to use that. They want you to come. So, yeah, yeah. so you never that, know. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of t- psychological tactics that play here. Anyways, you just look up uh, Spring One Tour Chicago. You should come to that next week, dear listener, and uh, ch- check out what's going on there. Now, meantime, I, you know, uh, very, very contemporaneous to my own thinking. It looks like, it looks like finally it's happened, Brandon. Uh, we're going to have to go when I go to the airport tomorrow, I'm going to see all the, uh, uh, all the, um, all the business books about how to mm-hmm. improve the way to yep. run a business. I'm yep. going to know that all of them are completely invalid because they're going to have Netflix for a, a business case in them. 
Yeah. And it looks like Netflix finally has been, uh, its, its, its share price has, has decreased by 25%. So I think what this means is that if you've done microservices, it's time to go back to the mainframe, right? Is that... <laughs> That, is that take the away? conclusion to draw? Well, you know, maybe a little uh, homework while you're actually on your uh, your trip and you're looking at the business books. Uh, I get it would be interesting. Uh, the the Netflix book uh, written by Reed Hastings. It's called uh, No Rules Rules: Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. So you should take a look. Like, is that one still for sale? Is it on discount? Like, is there any? Oh, when you're in the bookstores, are people still uh, raving about it? But um, yeah, yeah, I think this is an interesting story. You know, all. Um, in the sense of, you know, if you haven't been following it, you know, Netflix uh, basically announced that it had lost subscribers for the first time in, I don't know, a very long time. I think over 10 years. And so ultimately, this caused the stock as of uh, the time of this recording to drop almost 25%. And it's like, I don't know, that's something like tens of billions. I think it's up to like $40 billion in market cap. And, you know, Netflix is, of course, just fun to talk about for lots of reasons. But I you know, as you were saying, and I think the thing that really resonated with me is probably for the last decade, the two most common companies cited in digital transformation is Netflix and Uber. Like, I don't know, Cote, do you feel like that? I feel like I see that in every yeah. single presentation that that's like the setup slide. And then of course the setup is of the straw man is you don't want to be disrupted. Like Netflix is disrupting movies and how Uber's disrupting, um, in this case, taxi cabs mostly. And that has been over a decade. And then, of course, it's followed by all of the great things the Netflix technology has done. Uh, so it's interesting now to like flash forward and say, well, you know, did I mean, maybe it's just a question is like, did the people at uh, Disney Plus, HBO, Hulu, Discovery, Apple, Amazon, were, did they all listen? Were they all listening? And did they, you know, successfully fend off the disruptor? Or is it just sort of happenstance that? You know, they just Netflix sort of had this great run and it's created this incredibly valuable company, but they're sort of like at the end of the runway. Like, what mm. what do you think about it? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think uh, now now that I now that I pay as much as I probably would pay for premium cable for all these services, which is you know, that's the dream. I think we had after the Clue Train Manifesto is that we could just not have <laughs> just to pay, pay a big cable bill. Yeah, but uh, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the other people like it took them a long time, but they eventually just caught up and 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 they learned from it, right? Well, because from an outsider perspective, they're all the same, right? Like they all they all kind of follow the same patterns, and you know, content might be better in one uh, versus the other, but like the uh, the way you interact with them technologically is basically all the same, and so now there's a differentiation on content, and I think. You know, it is interesting. I mean, we're we're well aware of like uh, what what are they? You know, reverse engineering or is it Monday quarterbacking? Armchair quarterbacking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it 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 does seem like there was. uh, Let's assume that uh, hindsight works here. It does seem like there was a concerted effort with all the big content people to kind of like circle the wagons, wagons to circle the wagons. And uh, really, like, differentiate on content, which is probably like an old school react, an incumbent reaction to be like, that's great, but we've got the best content, right? Right. Which almost like, I feel like maybe over the past 15 years, us nerd people would have dismissed that as like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. But it turns out that, like, if you actually do have the best content, then that's what people want. As long as, like, your technology is up to speed, like, 
that you can still have the same like way of subscribing to it, right? That you can still get it delivered on any device. Like we got a new TV and it's got everything on it, right? That you basically, it's basically like you still have the same interface that you would have with Netflix, except, you know, you've got like all the, 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 the Disney movies and Marvel movies. You're not stuck with just like people killing each other and, and stuff like that. As, yeah. As far as what and I guess watch. the part that I wonder about is just, is like, did um, Netflix either, did they kind of just like run out of strategy or strategy played out or did they just over emphasize the technology? Cause to your point, like now, you know, all the apps in, in the, are pretty much like there are some you like better than others. Like I use the Apple TV mostly to watch, you know, that's our preferred, you know, streaming box. But like you said, there's like Roku and the TVs have them built in and Google TV has them. Um, and like, there certainly are nuances to the apps. There's certainly apps you like better than others, but there, it, it does seem like it just doesn't matter at all. All that matters is that there's a show there that's you're in, that's uh, interesting to watch. And it does seem like totally. Netflix has, uh, I don't know, you know, and again, maybe it's part of their content. Maybe they've just started, gotten away from prestige TV, which is probably something I'm more interested in. And they've gotten mm. more into like volume. Like they have a lot of content, a lot of like kid shows, cooking shows, um, game, you know, kind of stuff that's a little less. Uh, and maybe that's what people are really watching. But it seems like that's like, like to me, that's sort of interesting. So it's sort of like if you go back 10 years, because I think this is the thing that Reed Hastings lays out in this book was like they clearly knew that like, hey, we're going to do this DVD business to bridge us to streaming. And then we're going to get this huge advantage in streaming. And we're going to start building our original content. But the part that I think they, that seems to have, if you will, either been successful or gotten them is like, okay, well, what happens when you have everybody that has, has subscribed and that the only way you're making money is on a subscription. You have no way, you know what I mean? Like using the product, right. Doesn't, if you will make you more money, like an advertising base. Right, 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 right. And so did they, I don't know, it's kind of back to like Reed Hastings and they say like, did they just take their eye off the ball? Did they just think like, oh, like if if you started 10 years ago or even longer, if they started in 2000, it probably was sort of like unknown whether they'd even get to this point. Like this is the success problem, you know, but now that they're here and, you know, and all these other companies have taken the digital transformation talks to heart, um, it's sort of like, what do you do? Like there's not an easy answer, I think, for them moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of like you're saying, at some point, uh, you're you're no longer uh, the startup. You're like part of the old guard, right? And like, and I think I think you know, obviously, like Netflix make made this whole. It's not even a category, but just like change the way that people watch TV and movies, and like, and then just in the past, like what two, three years, maybe, like all of a sudden, all the cla- all the traditional studios basically caught up with that. And now, like, that's what's normal. And so, like, that means that, like, Netflix has basically uh, bought itself into that. Now they're part of the, the normal thing. And then, and you know, and, and you know, kind of like I was alluding to, you can, um, you can imagine the, 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 the meetings going on where the studio people are like, all we got to do, like, we got all this money. We just, we have to make sure that we have the good content. And, like, you know, next time that, uh, that uh, you know, Louisa over there, you know, she wants to go pitch like a show to Netflix. Just have lunch with her and be like, wouldn't you rather be part of the Disney family? Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. whenever you're part, or wouldn't you rather be part of the historic brand of Paramount? Right. Like it's yeah. sort of and, and you can you can imagine that over several years and then you, you know, you have uh, billions of dollars to acquire content libraries. And then, you know, I think maybe I, I often think there must have been some some jump where like the big switch was like, all right. 
we're only going to show this on our streaming service, right? We're never, we're no longer going to like f- let Netflix have this or just show it anywhere. Like you can only get it here. And, yeah. What and- was the decision that, that a lot of these uh, studios made this? Um, I think it was like the office and others where they actually pulled the content off Netflix, right? A few yes. years ago and kind of, if you will, live the short-term pain of not getting that licensing revenue and with the hope that they would recoup it with their own streaming services. Right, right, right. It's, it's and, 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 and so that's, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, obviously we don't, we don't have the numbers uh, or the spreadsheets or, or haven't, I don't know, maybe you have, but, but I haven't. <laughs> but I, you know, I wonder like if you, I mean, cause it's a good general innovation pattern. I wonder if you were to look at the, the money that, I'm going to call them the big studios. I don't know what else to call them. The the mm-hmm. the money that the, the the incumbent services spent over the past, let's say five years to get where they are now, like is that is that the like were they losing money there? Like did they figure out how to do innovation without having it without it having to be profitable at the same time? Like in the same way, right? Like you'd be like, oh, well, that's one thing for Netflix or Amazon or whoever to be able to do this because they can just burn money, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I'm sure the BMC people the BMC people are like, that's fantastic that HashiCore does Terraform, you know, because we actually have to make money. I mean, maybe yeah. not now that they're part of a PE firm or whatever, but you know, they, they sort of have that argument. And I wonder if if also at some point the incumbent people of the studios were like, I don't know, here's five billion dollars, just go make it happen. Right. Like, cause that, that would, that's, that's always a, uh, uh, a problem <laughs> as well for incumbents. And then now that's kind of the situation Netflix is probably in, right? Like they're probably like, mm, we're going to need to go like, I don't know, buy Warner brothers or something <laughs> like, well, it definitely seems like that's, you know, that's one way to go. It's like some inevitable consolidation, right. Happens here is like we we're saying before, like you have all of, you have four or five, you know, six, uh, undifferentiated uh you know at least from a technological point of view uh apps playing movies right and it's just like and i think the number of people at least the analysts seem to kick around is people really are willing to pay for four they'll play for four services but and i guess that fifth one is very difficult so get it start to get subscription fatigue so like what are the four that are going to to persist i guess that's an open question and then of course there is kind of like you know the business model in the sense of like always worry like if someone else is offering your your core product as a feature, maybe that's like you, you need to worry about that, right? So like clearly Amazon and, and Apple, right? Because they're really bundling video into another set of subscription services, right? In the case of Apple, it's usually like iCloud and Apple Music and Amazon, of course, the Amazon Prime. So that makes another like kind of, if you will, vector of competition is like Apple doesn't really care if, you know, they're, if you're quote unquote competing with Netflix, they just want to have enough TV shows that it sort of like helps them, you know, bump that Apple subscription up a little bit more. And then they can go back and say, I'm giving you music. I'm giving you video. I'm giving you workouts. I'm giving you. And so it can go from like, you know, as, as I think we've joked so many times on the show, the default lifestyle is like, first you start at like the 199 iCloud plan. And then, you know, you add music and then you add, then you're up to twenty dollars a month, and then you're just like, okay, throw in the Apple TV Plus, and so they have this way to, if you will, stack more and more things not related to video that make that subscription more valuable, right, and make it even more convenient. Whereas Netflix, at least today, it's really just video with games is like a, on the horizon, right? They've talked about games in the future, but you know who knows if that that will come to fruition or not. I, yeah, I I feel like like Apple TV Plus is kind of like 
the Google portfolio of streaming services. Like you're never really sure like how committed they are to it, like how long it's going to live. It's always got kind of like, you know, weird, not weird, but it has like kind of echoes of other things. It's a smaller portfolio. Like, you know, there's good shows on there, but it's just like, I, I, I don't know. Like, is this, is this really, I, I just strategically, aside from what you're just saying, like it seems like a weird thing for Apple to be in. And so mm-hmm. I'm never really like, you know, confident that it's going to like stick around. But I feel like with Apple, there is this history, though, of like what you just said, like they enter something new and you're like, I don't know. It sound, kind of seems weird. And then like, let's take Apple Music, right? Back when mm-hmm. Spotify was huge and there's a few other ones. And it's like, I don't know, is Apple Music really going to take off? And then, you know, a couple of years go by, you turn around and it's like, oh, they got like, I don't know, 60 million subscribers. Definitely the second, um, you know, yeah. uh, largest one to to Spotify, right? You know, even kind of maybe getting to the point. And it's like, they do seem to have this way of just like quietly, just like, yeah, we'll build something. We'll just kind of, you know, chip away at it. And then you look over and you're just like, wow, I can't believe how, like people would say the same thing about the watch, right? The watch comes out. People are like, I don't know if people are going to want it. You know, Mm. it doesn't do this. It's not a status thing. It's not a Rolex or whatever. And then, you know, now it's like the world's like on its own. That company is huge. If it was just making watches, right. That would be like a fortune, probably 200 company. And, um, and I don't know they just, you know, it's funny to say the world's, you know, I think they're the largest, most valuable company sneaks up on you, but they have this way of just sneaking up on you. And I feel like in a few years, it's like, I've talked about several Apple shows that I like here in a few years, I think they'll probably will have this catalog of like, wow, you know, yeah, they've got some really good stuff. Kind of like HBO. You'd be like, I really like what they've done there. And it'll just be natural to us. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It happens a lot. They're, they're like, they're like, I've never thought of this, but they're like the slow tech company. Everyone else wants to go really fast and grab market share and grow. But there's, I mean, and, and, and at their scale, they grab a lot of market share quickly or, or, uh, would it be cardinal? Is that what you say? Like the numbers are large, even if the rate is slow, but it, they do, uh, they do have that slow ramp up. You know, maybe, maybe what Apple will do is they will become the, uh, the HBO of the streaming services. They'll become like eighties HBO where there was like one HBO channel and it had like all, you know, aside from whatever they would show at 3am in the morning, but it would actually, most everything on there would be like high quality stuff. Right. It's like the actual movies. And so like, Maybe the Apple TV Plus portfolio will be pretty small, but most all the stuff on there will be good. You know, so that, it feels that, like that that's going because they hired the former HBO director of studios. I don't think they hired him, but basically they did some exclusive partnership with him, and it does seem like, you know, they're they want to take over that prestige TV, you know, kind of Sunday night shows here in the United States. Obviously, they just won the Oscar for Coda. And so it's like, it is interesting that, you know, they, um, and I guess it's a credit to them because I think, you know, we, and like all types of pundits like Ben Thompson and others, right. Are always like, you know, Apple should buy X. And it's like, if you look at the history, it's like, Apple's just like, no, we'll, we'll just like, if they do an acquisition, they'll do a tiny acquisition for some like basic building blocks, but then they'll just build around it. Right. And it's like, yeah, it tends, you know, it's hard to like argue with the success. You're like, that tends to work really well for them. And they seem to like, I think, you know, what you just said there, I think Tim Cook would probably be very happy in three years if if people are like, yep, they replaced HBO, he's won a few Oscars, and the, H- and the Apple subscription goes up to $30 a month, and then he'll be like, that was great. That's exactly what we wanted. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. We've, uh, I think, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a pen, and I'm just going to write some, some like, uh, some little notes and some appendices in the business books, mm-hmm. just sort of explaining. Well, before the, we get the, off the, the game subject. has been reset. 
I was gonna say before I get off this, uh, uh, like, how should we? Like, what do we think? What's your take on, you know, Reed Hastings' book? I have not read it, so I don't know. But the no rules rules. It's like, like I kind of have. Do we slap the old halo effect uh, warning on this book? It's like, well, you know, a lot of times, most of the times, like the business leaders write these books during their massive success, right, or kind of right at the end of it, and they publish it, and then years go by like top grading the GE book. Like, I don't think anyone's referencing that one today, right. Or, you know, good to grade and built to last. A lot of those companies have sort of faded, at least the ones that are examples. So um, is it unfair? Am I being unfair to like, just be like, yeah, this, this feels like a halo effect kind of book or is, is there still like good wisdom in there that, you know, that he's, a and, and maybe this is the checkpoint. Well, Reed Hastings apply, you know, the, the strategy in his books and reinvent Netflix, to go do something even better to, to make, you know, to double their market cap in 10 years. Like what, what's your take on that? That, that, is, that's a good point. We, we should check in and see, uh, see, see if these rules have been followed. I mean, I haven't read the book either, Brandon. So what do I know? I mean, I, I, I obviously have seen, have, have, we've got almost a decade of the uh, Netflix culture PDF, right? I think that's been mm-hmm. around for a long time. And yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Oh, that's always like, I, you know, my, my general policy is always like, just pick some set of rules or or pick some culture that works and consistently do it. Like that's like, I was having this conversation with a bunch of like, uh, enterprise architect types and, and, uh, you know, about the digital transformation. And I was telling them my joke that like, I often think that the improvements people get from doing like agile or scrum or cloud native or whatever it's really just an improvement because, like, before they were doing that, they weren't really doing jack shit. Now, I didn't say jack shit in, in a, a professional context. But just, like, you know, people got uh, – people were successful. Things were working out. And then they were like, I don't know if I really need to do that. Like, we all know. It. And, then, and then, you know, it's like, it's like anything. Like, you just kind of, like, you revert to comfort, right? And, like, so – it's good to come in every now and then and just be like, oh, we've got this revolutionary new set of ways of doing things because it just gives you something new to do. Whereas like, because the, the worst case scenario is that people are like, what do you mean? We, we already have a culture that we follow here. We don't need yeah. you to come in with your other culture. And so, you know, we, we've already got, culture is the wrong thing. We, we, already, we already do these. See, this is, the, this is the issue is like, you can't have a, a business book like this that only focuses on the outcome that you want because everyone agrees they have the same outcome, right? Right. And and so instead, you've got to have a, a business book that is very specific about the practices and the technologies you put in place, and and it had and it has to be different enough from what people are currently doing because if you know if you were to, if you were to come in and be like I, I here is a way that you do your your annual planning cycle that's going to blow your mind. What you do is you think about who your customers are, who your mm-hmm. suppliers are, and then who your competitors are. And you think what we need to do is come up, we need to brainstorm out a, a new product or an offering that our customers will pay a premium price for us versus what our competitors uh, are, are offering. Right. And you'd be like, thanks for the 1965 course and strategy from Michael Porter. We already do that. We've got that process underway. Yeah. Jack, Jack. Whereas if you were if you were like, here's how we do strategy, and you come up with something that's basically like, and finally, after all those sticky notes and whiteboards, now we know what we offer that no one else does, and therefore we can provide a premium price for, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you've got like the same goals, but you just got to come up with new, like goofy ways to get there. Right. So that so maybe, maybe that's the lesson here for these books. It's like, I don't, you know, maybe just the title here. It's, so maybe it's less about the culture of reinv- uh, reinvention as he's kind of alluding to. Maybe it's just more like, here's what Netflix has done, right? And you may want to read it to kind of see what's going on. But then, you know, you always have to like sprinkle in some level of like, hey, you know, we also benefited from a certain set of circumstances that you may or may not have, right? Like, I, I think that's always like kind of the push and pull in these books. Sure, sure. Like offering like, this is the right way and will always work for you versus like these ideas combined with this timing kind of worked out for us. So read the story and that may be helpful for you as you think through how you're thinking your culture there. But like anytime someone's out, throws out the book and says, well, this is the culture of reinvention. It's like, well, that probably, it's unlikely that will stand the test of time. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, it's like they always say, we've we've always been doing Agile. We just never called it that. That's, I think that's that's what we always well, learned. See, if only we had an ad to put here, Brandon. We could, uh... <laughs> well, we don't, but i tell you this, though. You found something this week that I really liked. You should tell everyone uh, this uh, reporting tool. Like, why did you? Oh, uh, yes. Why did you? And I like it. I was like, what prompted you to throw this into uh, into the show? Well, notes? I, I, I've, I've never I like reading this guy's blog. I've never forced myself to remember how to say his uh, his name. So that's too bad for me. But like, mm-hmm. well, he, we'll put a uh, link to the show notes. He, so he's he's he's, he's pretty good. He uh, let, let's see. What is it? He in Twitter, he is T-T-U-N-G-U-Z. So you can type that in. Not you, Brandon, but the someone. But everybody else. Right. Yes. And uh, uh you know, I like his his blog entries. I, I admire them a lot because they're like take a, take like they're they're basically like I haven't actually done this, but maybe four hundred, five hundred words. They're very short and uh, very clear and to the point. And you know, being a VC, somewhere in there, like his his posts, either I always feel like they're basically like, oh, someone asked this question on an email thread. And I typed it up and I thought it would be great as a blog post. Like I do that every now and then. Right. So right. You know, it'll be like how to uh, how to hire your 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 second uh, global sales manager for a SaaS business. And he's got all anyways, whatever. It's, got, it's a good blog. So this one, he starts off. He's like, I, I, I've seen a problem that people have a lot. And that is people in a company are trying to figure out what the real revenue is. And so they go, they get some spreadsheet and there's a column that's like, you know, revenue underscore three. And they're like, oh, this is the revenue. So they start using that revenue in calculations. And then they go to the meeting and someone's like, no, that's not the revenue. And they're like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, 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 you got to look in this other spreadsheet where it's revenue underscore one underscore a underscore final. That's the column we've been using for three years for the revenue. And then, you know, you can imagine how this happens, you know, how, how it, the rest of the story goes. He goes, eventually you get to the point where there's like seven different columns from all these spreadsheets that is the revenue that people are reporting. And then you've got, uh, <coughs> you've got this disaster of like no one actually knows what the real revenue is because like it's, it's, there's no central place. I mean, ultimately, I guess the real revenue is probably whatever, uh, you know, when you open up Adobe Illustrator and you put it in that, in that PDF that goes to the SEC. That's the real revenue. That's the real revenue, whether or not it's the real revenue or I not. I think there's a good uh, corollary here to IT, right? There's no single source of truth to, to what you're really exactly. talking about. Is exactly. That's the problem. Just like, uh, you know, 
if you don't have everything figured out, like it's, it becomes sort of a tribal knowledge as to mean like, what does the server name mean? Or where, how many servers do we have? Or what are they running? And, you know, and then someone's like, oh, everyone's asking for these questions. So it's, it, I think that's the part that struck me is like, wow, this is a great example of the same problem that comes up in IT all the time, but it's coming up with in metrics finance in the company. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, well, and, it's finance, but it's really all metrics in a company. That's like, true. And that, that's why when you when you put this in there and I read it, I just think, you know, like anything that's good, it just sort of like uh, confirms an experience you've had many times. It sounds like you've had it. I've had it a million times where, yeah. where it's just like people keep sending these numbers out. They never really agree as to what they mean. They change people like in the meeting. So many meetings that happen. I've been in them. I would imagine everyone listening to this has been in it. Hundreds, maybe thousands of meetings start with like, wait a minute, what does that number mean? And there spends all this time in a meeting trying to explain yeah. what the number actually is versus let's like, you know, look at the number and come up with some plan of action to make it better or something, you know? And it's like, wow, it's, it, I just, so, so to me, it really struck a chord. Like, no, yeah, yeah I, no, I, I think, I think that's exactly it is like all these, uh, all the, all these numbers. It's not that they're, they're, they're fake inside the, I mean, the larger the company, the harder it is to get actual numbers, you know, again, aside from whatever PDF you sent to the SEC, that becomes the real number. Right. And, and like, it is, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've seen people like figure out their own revenue based on IDC reporting. <laughs> right. Cause, right. Cause it's, it's hard to actually get like what your actual revenue is and therefore what your market share is. And, you know, it's, so there is the point. It's it's hard to have a single point of truth. And then, you know, the reason I gave this prefacing that he was like a VC is like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I got hoodwinked. Now he's pitching me some company that yep. he's funded down here. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, good fucking luck with that. Right. Like <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's not that this problem hasn't been identified. It's that it's very it's kind of impossible to solve. Like it's just like doesn't really I don't know why, but it just. I don't know if this is as as our uh, uh, our cloud DevOpsy friends would say. I don't know if this is a culture problem, or a technology problem, or a compliance problem. But it's just like I I feel like there probably is not an organization you can go to where like you could easily maybe you've got to file a help desk ticket. Maybe there's that right, but you could easily just get access to whatever the real revenue was for all the business units like. It seems to be always obscured and hidden somewhere. I mean, well, I don't know if you caught it in the write up because I guess it comes the the story that is told. Again, we never know how true it is, but it says that these ideas or this product really came out of Airbnb, and they go oh, that's through right. and they talk about the product and the basically this open source thing, and everyone can read about it. We'll put in the show notes. It's good. It's definitely worth like kind of watching and understanding it. But it's very subtle in there because he didn't make a ton of noise about it. But he says. The CEO, who he refers to as Brian, basically says, you know, he was looking at a lot of data, right? And he was always being told, you know, over and over that, like, you know, this number means this or this number means this. Or he was asking data and, like, I'd like to know the bookings in Germany or something. And he found it was very difficult for people to get that information and to consistently show it to them overall. So the important part there is Brian is the CEO, right? And when at least for him at Airbnb, he put a ton of emphasis on saying like, I want this to be fixed to the point that if you have to go build an entire system that from the ground up to do it, mm. that's worth the time and effort to do it. So I see. Know, that's the subtlety right around, you know, many places to your point, the reason it won't happen is that the CEO will have different priorities. They'll just say, well, that's just how it is. We have to live with it. 
I'll let the Microsoft business objects people work it out or the Tableau people work it out. I'm, I'm busy on something else. Whereas in this instance, and you would, it does make sense that Airbnb, a consumer-based company, probably depends more on this type of data than maybe like a large enterprise selling large enterprise deals, right? Where they don't have as much data. It's not necessarily as important. So, so like we always say, it's like, you know, it will happen if it's a priority. And if it's a priority from an executive, that's how you're going to get, get change made. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense. And and also, you know, it's a, uh, uh, you also have like all your multiple business units and acquisitions and things like that. And, and, and more generally, right? Like it is uh, like when I was putting together analytics for like, uh, uh, you know, blog page views. And if people click on things in videos, like there's, there's even, even one person, uh, looking at all that stuff, there's so much variation across properties even owned by the same company, YouTube and uh, you know Google Analytics. It's just like sorting out the differences between a user, a session, a view, or or like you know all these various things. It gets like complicated really quickly. And and I, I you know maybe it's not even maybe that not even that complicated in the uh, the finance world but i i can imagine that uh, if you're at a large company like it's just uh you don't even know like the semantics of money that you have like you've just got these revenue streams coming in and and how do you account for them like how do i if i rent a car i got a gps unit income but then also i rent a car seat is that i guess that's all under accessories so you got that revenue does that is that included in my uh my car rental total or is that a separate line of business that i have and then and then how do I how do I incorporate what they're doing in Iceland? That's that's you know. And next- but the part that I like about this, I think you bring up all the problems, right? And I think they're all well said, right? And I think the part that I guess I did see here that was different to me was this idea of defining metrics, sort of like at different levels. Like this is a company wide metric, but then more importantly, having a person assigned to an owner of the metric, and then having a written definition of the metric. Right? Oh, like, yes. The fact that, that this tool says that, okay, because to your point, it's like, we will probably never get, you know, to the 10 perfect metrics. But if we just had 10 metrics that we're going to track, and we all know who's responsible for, you know, essentially creating that metric and defining it, at least we can you know track that over time. And it may not be perfect, but it would at least give us, we would stop arguing about like, what does it mean? Cause we would always know yeah. what it means and we could see it and we can maybe even have offline meetings about creating new metrics, but we would all be driven by the behavior of that. And this is of course, you know, software defined talk. So this week I have to, you know, have some rant about work day and I'll just get it in here. It's like, maybe if we spent less time on the work day, uh, workflows and entering all this text and we spent more time on these metrics, when we came time to do reviews, we could all just look at our metrics and look at and like really have confidence around, well, this is what we were holding you to. Here are the KPIs you're interested in. And like, it's very easy to report against them, right? Like think about how that conversation would go with your boss. And be like, okay, let's all, let's pull up the metrics we've been looking at all year long, right? Because we know what they mean. So just, you know, just a thought to, to throw out there to everyone. Now, see, this is great because this pulls back, pulls back, connects back to what we were saying earlier. This is a good example of uh, we we've always been doing agile. We just never called it that, right? <laughs> we're we're like, there are probably lots of people like in the, the meetings you're talking about, right? Who are like, uh, uh, they want to spend a lot of time talking about the number. And someone, you know, you would be like, well, can we bring up the definition uh, of the number and like look at the actual like formula that derives this number? And people would be like, uh, I don't no. I don't know. Do we do we write that? And and then so. 
So then the revolutionary suggestion that you should write down where the number comes from, like seems like, you know, is, is like earth shattering and revolutionary, right? That you actually have a process. And if you wrap doing these common sense things into like a new, uh, you know, proven process of awesomeness, then every, everyone goes to the training, they read the books, they even like, you know, they, they, it's not just three ring binder dismissiveness, like they actually like, they believe in it, and they start following these things, and they start writing down where the number comes from, then of course, there's going to be improvements, because they weren't doing anything beforehand, right? And so that's like, you know, that's the value of a renewed uh, uh, sort of uh, reinvention. Right. And I do think, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about a little bit Netflix before and, you know, digital transformation and how some of these things apply yet uh, in different situations. And I think this idea around metrics, because when you really dive into these tools, what they've really done is, is, is nothing other than we say configuration is code. We say compliance is code, but this, like their variation of it would be metrics is code, right? So you basically Mm. define in this case, you know, it's some form of YAML. It's always YAML, of course, but not in a bad way. You basically define what it is, what the query is. You check the query in, not checking, that's the old school way of, you know, I'm thinking of my source safe days. You put it in GitHub, right? And uh, you basically anyone can see it, you annotate it, you write it up, you let people ask questions. And so so it's just, the, it is like the idea that metrics, um, doing it through some type of code, or in this case, configurations, this works just as well as, you know, doing compliance as code or doing configuration as code. And the fact that like, we don't, you know, quickly move to this, um, it just kind of shows that even the the companies like you know you and I work at companies that are big about digital transformation. You know we even struggle with it, right? And and we th- think about digital transformation all day long. So I just think the idea of like doing this for metrics, it's worth the time and effort if you really want to be metrics driven. If you don't, if you're just sort of back to the, where we started this conversation, where you're just sending a bunch of Excel files out with revenue one, new revenue two, old revenue column three, it's like well you know you're gonna spend a lot of time in meetings just kind of debating those metrics. There's no way around that. Yeah, just checking your Excel macros. That's that's <laughs> yes. <laughs> learning about special paste and how I mean how, you really you joke, but it is true. It's like if the only way to learn the formula is to get the Excel spreadsheet, click in the the, the formula cell in Excel, which of course is impossible to read in by humans. So you have to like cut and paste it and it's do some like syntax highlighting just to like 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 how many things are going there, and you have to refamiliarize yourself with all the obscure Excel uh functions if that's the way you do it then it's it's going to be hard for everyone to understand and, it and, and then looking at configuration that can be read by anyone and you know what you always find is that like they they've like they've like is it a i don't know what they call it in office land but they've they've like live linked to another file yeah and so it's like oh you can't edit this because you know c colon backslash bob's files yeah, doesn't external exist. links right and then it gives you some virus warning right yeah absolutely yeah, and and i always think like i that it must have that data model somewhere because it's generating this chart, right? Like, and it, so it has the numbers in PowerPoint because this is not an, an image. And if I reformat this chart to a pie graph, it knows what the numbers are because it can redraw that chart. So that model is in there somewhere. somewhere. I don't know why it, I feel like I once figured out, you know, you know who I think taught me this, our old friend provocator, master of Microsoft office circa uh-huh. 2010. And I think he actually finally showed me some way that you can get the spreadsheet, even if it's not linked somewhere. Right. And and uh, extract that data. Out. But it does. I mean, just to beat the dead horse here, right? And it's just like it's just another variation of like, uh, like we talk about with no SSHJJ, right? It's like, hey, if you're secure shelling into the machine and you're doing lots of manual configurations, and like, sure, there's all this magic you can use to figure out what's going on. 
but it's just very painful, right? It's like, you know, so why not take the, the moment to automate it and put it in some clearly defined language and be able to repeat it, right? And it's like, so these principles apply not only to IT, but they probably should apply even more to like these types of metrics that I we're all obsessed with. Yeah, I think, well, you know, I think my, my parting thought here, Brandon, is that I'm like some Sunday in the future, I'm looking forward to hearing Brian be like, I, I heard this conversation about we have all these metrics and they're not accurate. Why do we keep using them? So I wanted to talk about why, uh, why, why we use these metrics. What are metrics for? And uh, I think, I think hay season will be over by then. So he won't have to apologize <laughs> for, for, for sneezing so much, which is fine. You know, I feel like I've been a professional podcaster for a while now, as you have, Brandon. And you know what? You don't need to apologize for noises, eating, got a cough. It's fine. Things happen. Like you just not, not a big deal. It's totally, totally. If you want good sound, listen to NPR. If you want tech news and commentary, come here. You know, you you, you can pick one or the other. (laughs) Well, well, just as a brief mention, I mean, since, uh, since, you know, it's, it's, it's a very popular thing. It looks like Heroku was down for about four days. I don't really know what that means, but you know, just like we were kind of, when we were talking about Netflix, anytime, uh, anytime something is down, it's, it's, uh, it's time for commentary about how, uh, how bad it is. We all forget how much people loved this thing and uh, would, would sing its praises. But I think Heroku is always an interesting case, right? Because it's, uh, I think, in our, our little area of the world, we're always like, not sure. Everyone loves that thing. I'm not sure why that didn't take over and dominate the world. And, and so, like, it's a, good, it's a good opportunity to check in with Heroku. I think they came back on. Uh, right, Brandon? Are they, uh, I, think so. I think they're back on. They're a long, long outage, but, yeah, they're back. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, did, uh, how, how did people take this? Was it, was it a chance... To uh, to pronounce the death of Heroku, or or was it was it still I think alive? it was. Uh, I think people. It's not so much the death. I think it was sort of like, hey, if you if you're still on this thing, maybe now's the time. Maybe it's it's really time mm. to start looking for something yes. different. But but again, as uh, Adam Jacobs says it so well uh, in one of his tweets from I don't know many years months ago, it says, uh, "Heroku is like a fallen civilization of elves, beautiful immortal love, mortal, beloved by all who encounter it, but still a dead end." So I think that's like. I mean, there's just no better. Uh, description than Haruka the net he said it well yeah he's really into that really heavy heavy metal right he should he should make some song about <laughs> about the the Heroku elves and and their journey that, that would be great I I don't I don't really like that kind of heavy heavy metal I don't even know what that is but uh I would listen to that f- figure that out well uh you know do we have any bureaucracy this week Brandon we do we have uh, a bunch of bureaucracy so uh uh, Brian over at the Cloudcast. So, you know, Cote was just referencing uh, his excellent podcast, but he's over at uh, solo.io. We got to get him on. I keep saying, I'm, I'm going to have him on. He's going to explain it to us. But if you're looking for a job, he posted a bunch of different jobs in the channel this week. So you can go be the uh, edge product manager. You can be the uh, front end systems developer and the back end systems, or you can even go help them do some new business development. So all of those jobs are linked in the show notes. And if you go into the Slack, you can probably track Brian down and he can tell you more about those jobs. Also, I want to thank uh, probably several people, but Andy's the one that uh, sent me or sent it in the, put it in the Slack. He sent uh, some stickers representing at DevOps Days uh, Birmingham. So uh, it sounds like that was a su- successful con- uh, conference. Really appreciate Andy uh, kind of representing Software Defined Talk. Hopefully, all the listeners had a good uh, event there. I'd like to hear more about it. Also, sent some stickers to Austin, who lives in uh, Clarksville, Maryland. And he is on his way to Singapore. So I sent, you know, he was like, hey, can you send me some stickers before I go to Singapore? I said, no problem. But even when you're in Singapore, I can still send them when you're there. So wish mm. him luck. And then I also sent some stickers to Scott 
uh, in Australia. So uh, always good to hear from our friends down in, in Australia. And of course, if you'd like a sticker, all you have to do is send uh, your, an email with your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. I've even improved. I've gotten with the uh, the, the whole uh, shipping management team here. We've even improved our system of addressing and sending stickers. I think I think we're better than ever. We, we can we can take on more load. So uh, so keep them coming. Keep the stickers requests coming. Do you, do you have do you have like one of those label machines where like you turn the wheel and you you like do the handle thing and it punches it through plastic. Is that how you're doing the addresses you know, faster? Okay. I figured out, you know, this is um, a triumph of technology. It's like, oh, I figured out in uh, pages, so not Word. I use pages to basically, I figured out how, how to, if you will, insert the, uh, the envelope right into the printer. And then like pages has a nice setup for it where I can just like cut Whoa. and paste the address. It all comes out. It looks very professional. I don't have to write these addresses that I'm always like kind of questioning. Like, am I doing it huh. right? Is this the way that you send e- uh, mail to the Netherlands or something like that? So it's perfect. I like it. You know, it's like it's a triumph of technology that I finally figured out how to do it. So, so I have uh, plenty of. Uh, it, it's even better, especially the people that send the mailing address exactly as it's supposed to be on the envelope. It's just the cut and paste. That's how. That's how great it is. Maybe I'll get the team next on writing some automator scripts. To even get yeah. it where it just happens who knows well well i mean they first have to sort out their revenue numbers so you can see sure once we get the revenue once things. we get our kpis and we can measure um the yeah. roi of these stickers then we're going to really be humming yeah yeah because you want to know how to prioritize your uh, your spend for fy24 like before you uh you got to kick that off well uh, i mentioned a few conferences already there there's that conference may 23rd to 26th that's pretty soon brandon yes it is yeah, and then, uh, like I said, there's Spring Tour Chicago next week, April 26th and 27th. Uh, I put in the code in the show notes to get $50 off. I tried to increase it to 60 and 80 and that didn't work. But, you know, good luck. You, you can sort it out yourself. And then uh, there also there will be DevOps Days Austin next week, a week after next, May 4th and 5th, where I'll be. And uh, we got a MongoDB World coming up in June. There's a Splunk conference then, too. All sorts of exciting stuff as well, and then um, we'll we'll have our our, uh, our VMware. It's been renamed to Explore. I thought it was VM Explore, but it's VMware Explore, uh, which which is good because I think there's already a tool called VM Explore out there. But that's uh, that's in the usual time, and uh, you know you can check all that out if you want to go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/slash three five four. And with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Uh, this week, I want to recommend the Rectangle app. So you can go to uh, rectangleapp.com. I've, you know, I think I mentioned on some previous shows, I'm sort of always tweaking, like, how do I get the most out of all this monitor space? Like, what's the right configuration? So Rectangle app, it just makes it real easy to kind of, if you automatically size windows and sort of like take up half the screen, a quarter of the screen, different uh, layouts and things like that. So I find it really con- convenient. And uh, for me, I have the 227 inch monitors going. I have basically determined that the maximum number of windows that I really can consume at one time is six. So basically I got like two main windows and then four ancillary windows on the side. So that's what I'm going with. And rectangles made it easy for me to like experiment with a bunch of different configurations. So it's free. They do have a paid version. I haven't used the paid version, but this free version is really good. It does kind of feel like, man, it feels like Mac should have all this just built into the operating system, but they have some of it, but not all of it. So rectangle app has been a good little addition. Check it out. Now, now, isn't that like a, what do they call that? A Dunkirk or a Dunbar number? Like you can you can really only hang out with like six people. Like I think it's like fourteen or fifteen, right? But I feel like that must be. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like somebody 
must have kind of uh although i see people with like a lot of windows I, I guess i'm not in an office as much but i remember walk around like people with like three you know like i don't know three or four different monitors with a lot of windows going so i don't know what the natural um but i think i'm at my max like i don't think another monitor here mm. will not make me more efficient it yeah yeah i i just i i just run out of stuff to do with them right like the, like <laughs> i don't you know there's only like at one point i i got a giant monitor and so I only have like the big monitor and the laptop, right? But at one point, I had potentially, let's see, I had two different monitors and a laptop monitor. And then you can use like the sidecar thing for your iPad, right? Right. And I was always like, I don't really know what to do with this iPad monitor. Like, <clears throat> I don't need to like put Twitter on here to monitor it and <laughs> nor my calendar. I'm not really sure what, what is I need set? to be doing. What's your, is your, are you a one monitor laptop and a laptop? Like, what's your setup? What's yeah, your yeah. I, I, I have. I, I got one of these big, like, 30 inch monitors. You okay. Know, the curve thing. And so I'm trying that out now. I got that, and then I got the laptop, right? Because I'm. But is it I'm the like, extra long kind, or is it? Is it? Is yeah, it yeah. It's, it's it's extra long. It's, okay. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like you know, I'm, I I like I like the. Uh, I don't really need the laptop monitor, but I like the keyboard and trackpad on the the MacBook Pro here. That's really yeah. what I want. And and uh, another monitor is fine. I don't know. Monitor talk, pretty That's good right. stuff. That's well, well, speaking of thrilling recommend or thrilling talk, your recommendation was was thrilling, Brandon. But you know, we had we had a bunch of uh, we had a bunch of sickness going on around here. Not any COVID stuff, just like colds and fevers and stuff. And uh, you know, it may seem obvious, kind of like describing what your metrics are, but I think, you know, there's a lot of Internet of Things stuff out there, but just a good old fashioned one button digital thermometer is my recommendation right now. <laughs> when every there, there were many years until I think maybe until the last five years or so where like the one button thermometer would always confuse me. Right. Like I need I need like a go like a start. How does this work? And I feel like. At some point, I, I, I sat down and I was like, self, let's just spend some time figuring this out. Like, right. I know it's, it's for some reason, there, there must be some name for this, this uh, condition, but it's like the simpler some piece of technology is, the more confusing I find it, right? And so the idea, like, surely if I want to know someone's temperature and I press this button and it beeps and I put it in their mouth and it beeps again, surely I've messed up that workflow. Like, there must be something wrong with that. But no... Sure enough, most of these thermometers, you uh, you press the button until it turns on, you put it in the mouth, it beeps, and you're done. That's it. And, right. and like it's just uh, I don't know. I, I I guess you know what you know what I think it is is I don't I don't feel comfortable with the technology that the instant you turn it on, it's starting to do its thing. You need like a boot up process. You need yeah, yeah. Like like, like you I, exactly. Like I need that standby thing. Like exact. Like I am I I the thermometer am on now. <laughs> I am ready for you to tell me to do something. That's right. <laughs> it's like the scale. Like you have to like put your foot on the scale, let it like boot up, show the zero. And then you just like step on it. Yeah, I agree. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Things that don't have that, you should just be skeptical of them. You're like, hmm, that can't be right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, it's so maybe that's my recommendation is if you should, you got to make sure to be comfortable with that type of, it's not even boot up that type of go button. Right. Like, because if not, there's a lot of things in life that are just like, you know, also like a meat thermometer. Like there's a lot of meat thermometers that the act of opening up the meat thermometer turns it on. Yeah. Yeah. But then but then you don't have to pay attention. Like you can see that it's on and then you stick it in the meat and then it Mm -hmm. goes. Right. So even that is a two phase process. Right. (laughs) Where it's just like like 
the the thermometer thing is just like it's just going once you turn it on. <laughs> so to be clear here, you're not recommending a thermometer. You're just recommending to 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 be okay with the instant on the instant yeah yeah you know you know the the, the, the next time the next time you it's a very philosophical meta recommendation yeah i I mean for people recommendation be be okay with this mindset for people who have not who who don't know what i'm talking about here the next time you you're staring at the wall you're enjoying a cup of coffee just talk with yourself about this idea of like when i need this thing to function i just press a button and it is ready. It's it's doing its job already, right? Like, and and it's just I don't know. I have a lot of discomfort with that type of thing. I I, I want to have like I want to have like push a button and it's ready, it's ready. And now I want to be like go, all right. So, but uh, I've I've you come to bring on some it. UI. I bet you there's something some UI researcher or user interaction where it's like yeah, like the human brain actually it, it even though it could it's almost like. Even though it could be on and working perfectly, just giving the uh, the human being like a second to like process it is just mm. probably required by us. Something like yeah, that. It's yeah, like, uh, it's like the elevator button closed doors where it doesn't really work, but like just just give the person something to do. It makes them feel better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, at some point, I bet I bet oven technology will get to the point where you could just like give it a temperature and it's instantly that temperature, right? Oh. And, and, right, and that'd be good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it'll take humans a while to get to get used to it. They'll just be like, I don't, what? I don't understand what, why this is happening. Like, because I get, because the thing would be like, that would mean that you put your food in there first and then you do the temperature thing, right? Like yeah. that would be a big shift because we're, we're just like so much, maybe not even so much. I think every, every year of, of uh, humankind's life, the the rule has been heat up the thing first and then put the food in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so this would be a fundamental change just for humanity. And since paradigm humanity, shifts, okay, paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, as as discussed earlier, right? Like, I mean, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter what rocks think about things, right? Like, we we by experiencing it are the ones who define reality. So we would be that device would redefine what reality is. Uh, well, I think that's it for this episode. So uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Cody, that's what I need to get is I need to get figure out how to do the pre-roll music. So we come well, in. There, there's, playing, you know, there's you know? music in Restream. I know. Right? I just, I just, I never, where, like, we have this conversation it? every time and I just never. Oh yeah. I can't it. see it. Cause I'm, I don't have an account. I haven't made an account, but you should be able to add with the plus thing. You can like add music. Yeah. I need to, that's one of the many things I need to do mm-hmm. as we were just uh, talking about lots, lots of configuration changes. No, you know, I mean, point, I mean, they already have the music. You just select. Is it that simple? I don't know. Yeah, right. yeah. Click mm-hmm. on the plus thing, and you'll see like you'll see like uh, yep. you right. know, background music, and then you get to pick what type you want. All right, let's see here. Hip hop. Are you hearing it? Yeah, and the good thing is, all right. So unlike, time, that's the way I should have rolled into the situation. Right? On 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 Streamyard, they have. I don't know. I haven't checked this in a while, but Streamyard has music, but it's only one song. Whereas Restream just has kind of like infinite music. Okay. So you, you All right. Know. That's going to mess up the recording, I bet. That's okay. Well, well yeah, you got, you got to stop that once you... Uh, That's where we're like really, really going.